Now, listen, it's it's been a while, right? I, I was off last night. Uh, I was off on, on Friday. I've taken a few shows off. And in the meantime, I've been processing takes, digesting opinions. And some of y'all have real bad ones, like really bad. <laughs> and it's time for us to address it. And we're going to start the show with it because, honestly, I don't think we can wait any longer to really drill down on what y'all seem to want, which is, I think... I think, an NBA with only like six teams. Let me explain. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM, Channel 80. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Guests are going to join us on the Goodyear Hotline. Uh, just 90 minutes tonight taking you up to uh, Suns Clippers. And, and speaking of Suns Clippers, they are two of the teams remaining in the NBA playoffs, which I, for one, am extremely excited about. We got young superstars and we got veterans that have yet to win it all and prove themselves we've got markets that have collapsed down the stretch despite great regular seasons leaving us wondering in the future years whether we should ever believe in them again and here they are proving that we can we can believe in them and that it's worth caring about them we've got small market teams that have worked to keep superstars and prove that you can have success in the nba without being on a coast and yet You ungrateful morons are calling (laughs) for the NBA to essentially reduce its its ranks to like six teams because you need to see LeBron or the Nets. And Fitz, I don't get it. We can't complain about things being so predictable. And then when they're unpredictable and exciting and new superstars that are going to replace the aging ones arrive on the scene with great fanfare and gusto, we complain about that too. There's a, this alarming moment for me where I feel like constantly we are looking at things and we're like, well, you know, where's golf going to find the next tiger? And then you have this situation that you just addressed with so much youth and so much unexpected. I mean, I would say to everybody, and I said this earlier, raise your hand if you you had this predicted as your final four in the NBA, uh, especially before the season started. But keep your hand up long enough that we all know who the liar in the room is (laughs) because nobody knew this was coming. And I think that's part of what's great. Like, we spend so much dang time every year during the NBA season talking about next year or next offseason or why it's going to get better, guys. I promise there'll be more balance through all of this. And now we finally have it. People want to complain? No, not at all. Like, I think if you look across the board, whether it's because the Clippers have never been here uh, at this point, whether it's Phoenix and just the absolute alarming, just incredible energy in the city around this happening for them, for Milwaukee, the block party, that we've seen you can go all the way across the board and look at that and then the Hawks obviously like Atlanta is ready for this right like I think each of these cities and each of these teams provides a great moment and a great story for the NBA that we should be embracing and we should be happy that for once we at least get a break from LeBron or the Warriors in the final it's not even about the break for me it's about what feels like and and my apologies to those of you who think that you are diehard you know, fans of the NBA who are who have this opinion for some reason that you apparently at home can can defend, but it sounds like casuals to me, right? Like, oh, I don't know these people as well as the guy that I've had the opportunity to watch for <laughs> 18 seasons, and therefore the ratings will be bad and no one will watch. I just, I don't get that, right? Because we can't spend all regular season – debating the finer points of a Milwaukee Bucks team and whether they got good enough in the offseason to support Giannis, make it worth him having signed that long-term deal, deciding to stick around, and then when they get there, say, we didn't want this, we're bored. We can't 
spend as much time as we have clowning the Clippers for epic collapses and trying to figure out, is it the team that is cursed, the actual franchise, regardless of its pieces, or do they continue to get players to fall apart when it matters most? And then when they make it, be like, we're not interested, right? And I get it, Fitz. Part of the reason the NBA is becoming more and more popular and in some ways has supplanted some of that year-roundness that we used to have with the NFL is because of the drama. And if people want to get into that, that's cool. But can we also get into the basketball that's still being played? Because I'm looking around and I'm like, yeah, let's talk Ben Simmons, but there's a game tonight between the Clippers and the Suns. Game one was awesome, and all we want to do is talk about where Ben Simmons is going to be 11 million months from now. <laughs> uh, 11 million in exact number. Spain yeah. and Fitz there, Spain, Jason Fitz. I, I mean, I think at some point the real question does become what's everybody want? Now, there are real conversations that will be had about the ratings, and I'm not going to duck away from that. Like, anytime you have the opportunity to have big markets in a final, doesn't matter what the sport is, ratings are better. Big markets draw more, you know, more attention. We all know that. Maybe there is some element to that. But at some point, if you're the NBA, you've got to have your eye. Like, what do we always say about team building? You've got to look short-term and long-term, right? Don't you, as a league, when you're looking at how you build and sustain the popularity of your league, have to look the same way short-term, long-term? And I, I look at this and say, I don't really care if there's a dip in the TV ratings in this process, this is a star making off season we're watching or, or postseason we're watching right now. Like Devin Booker becomes a bigger star because of what he's doing now. If Giannis actually wins a championship and all of a sudden the casuals that may not know as much about him will become infatuated with him, that's incredible. I mean, Trey Young, uh, the, I've said it a million times, shushing Spike Lee makes you a superstar. It's not just hitting the shot. It's shushing yeah. Spike. Well, silencing Philly makes you a superstar. Like These are the sorts of moments that can really catapult the next stories we're telling about the next generation of stars, which long-term feels like it's good for the league. Yeah, it's Spain and Fitz, by the way. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz on ESPN Radio. Don't forget, you can subscribe to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can catch all the stuff that you might miss. And I can catch all the stuff I might miss, like Fitz hosting solo, which she is for the rest of the week. Um, you need a bridge, Fitz. And I think that's the part that maybe gets lost is, yeah, of course we understand that there has been enough time and enough stories and enough stakes in the past of LeBron James to ha- keep so many more fans informed than those who are just learning about the greatness of a Trey Young or Devin Booker. But we know it is inevitable that LeBron will be gone. And having a bridge of these young stars, Luca, Trey, Devin, Giannis, these players that we're getting to see create their legacy and begin their own, certainly not like LeBron, no one will really have that, but begin their own kind of greatness we're watching that happen now these are the moments that years from now we'll look back and remember like that's when we all really got to see that Trey Young is cold-blooded just absolutely dangerous at any moment no matter the context of the game and and look back from it when he's a regular and and perennial contender that's fascinating to me I'm just confused as to why people um, want the same old, same old, and then we'll also complain about that. I mean, I know yep. it's because people are the worst. Like, that's what it boils down to. But <laughs> Social media has taught that repeatedly right. over the last several years, especially even over the last 24 hours. I, I, I'll even double down to and say that 
the fact that this is happening without Zion is also equally impressive to me because there are certain guys you mentioned there won't be another LeBron. Well, maybe the closest we'll have to a brand power coming into the league that everybody seems to know and be interested in is Zion, frankly. And the fact that all of this has happened this year without Zion's engagement and involvement in the playoffs, I think that's incredible for what is attempting. Like, how many times do we have to watch John Morant do really cool things before we start to say, oh, I consistently see he's worth paying attention to. And I would argue the same has happened with Trey continually over this playoff process. So when you think about not just the young players that are involved, but the fact that they've been able to do this while other young great players are sitting there ready to also take their jump, I I think it's an exciting time to be an NBA fan. And I will say that this is certainly a specific sample size of people, and I am maybe potentially falling into the trap that I hate myself, which is when people use social media responses to dictate as if there is some larger push. But it did feel like a really big majority of the responses to the Eastern Conference and Western Conference Finals matchups being finalized was, this is bad for ratings, who cares, no one's going to watch, this sucks, I'm not going to care anymore. And so, you know, to those of you who are not participating in this moronic take, you can all refrain from kicking rocks. But the rest of you... Kick away. Go kick rocks because your takes stink. And uh, I'm excited, Fitz. I, it's funny. I remember my my very first time on the show called Numbers Never Lie, which was a precursor to his and hers. The very first day, I was in the meeting, and the producers wanted to talk about, now that the playoffs are set, should the Knicks be kicking themselves even more that they didn't make the cut looking at the matchups? And I like kind of like meekly raised a finger in the meeting, and I was like, wait, so – we're going to talk about the Knicks not making it instead of all the teams that did and the matchups and how excited we are. And they're like, yeah, for sure. And then I just ripped it on TV. Like, no one cares. <laughs> We're not going to talk about you for a while. You didn't make it. And that was a, a probably a precursor to my argument, as you often know, when we put together our shows of like, why are we talking about these things eight months in advance instead of caring about the action that's happening right now? It, it fascinates me. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I agree with everything you just said, and we'll keep uh, breaking it down. But there are action. there is action tonight, yes. obviously. The question is, can Devin Booker be a uh, top three scorer in the NBA? The hype train is real for tonight's matchup. We'll tell you what to expect next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and Sirius XM. Channel 80, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, together. Enjoy it. (laughs) We're presented by Progressive Insurance. All of our guests are going to join us on the Goodyear Hotline. Uh, And this is obviously a huge, huge night in the NBA. By the way, ESPN Radio, presented by Progressive Insurance. Progressive's Home Quote Explorer gives you multiple quote options so you can pick what's right for you. See for yourself. Just go to Progressive.com. Now, tonight you can see for yourself game two of a series that I found myself laughing Sunday Sarah, because it felt like so many people, myself included at times, wondered how good the game one between the Clippers and the Suns would be knowing that there was no Kawhi, no CP3, and it's easy in those situations to walk into a matchup and say, man, how good would this be if we actually had those two stars that we could make sure that we were seeing the best version of both teams? And instead, what we got was an incredible showing Mm -hmm. where Paul George and Devin Booker each just said, yeah, anything you can do, I can do better, and it was wild. Watching two brilliant stars on two brilliant teams maximize the moment, maximize the window, and absolutely give us a game that was 
incredible. It's one of those game ones that just makes you realize that the entire series has a chance to be something really special. Yeah, they're showing all these incredible stats based off of that first game, including that Devin Booker is one of very few to have his first triple-double come in the conference finals or later. Over the last 60 seasons, just five players to do so. And that Paul George has the single-season record for postseason points scored uh, from this year. And Paul George is a fascinating one, Fitz, because, again, this is a guy who made his reputation with the Pacers. You know, playoff P, the guy that everybody could depend on, and started to chip away at that uh, reputation with the Clippers, and there were injuries involved and all sorts of other things. But whether fair or not, the national outlook on Paul George was not the guy that you can count on. Some of the worst shooting performances in the history of the NBA playoffs for someone who's expected to take as many shots as he will in a given game. But the recent success has completely changed that narrative. And part of that is, who are you in the in the circumstances of the game, like when Kawhi Leonard is out and how much pressure is on you, but also what are the expectations for your team? And it was interesting to hear Brian Windhorst on with uh, Pablo Torre on ESPN Daily talking about how, for whatever reason, when the Clippers became a sort of underdog because of Kawhi Leonard's unexpected injury, Paul George started thriving. And that for whatever reason, when they were the favorite last year, he shriveled. And that mentality and that... Uh, approach from players is something we we don't dig into that much because it's really hard to recognize from the outside. Yeah, and it's such a you know to the two worlds of Paul George, right? And what I want to do is is really respect where he is now and also respect that hey, the game is different when you have Kawhi and maybe there is a a mindset around deferring to some level because that's the best thing to do for where the team's headed. It's got to be tough to be PG at some point because it feels like there is, the the narratives are so harsh against his ability when I think the fact is everybody at some point started over who Paul George was going to be as a player and realistically once you start doing that it, it changes the the prism that we look at everything through and to a certain extent it feels like there's a little bit of that happening although this is very early and it's only after one game but it feels a little bit like what we've seen with Devin Booker in the last 24 hours, right? Like mm-hmm. all of a sudden, everybody has so many big hot takes on Devin Booker instead of just letting there be a process. This is what Kendrick Perkins said, ESPN NBA analyst on Get Up, about Devin Booker's scoring prowess. Devin Booker is the third best scorer in the NBA behind Kevin Durant and Steph Curry. And when you look at D-Book and the way that he's able to get buckets, he does it at a high rate. He has zero flaws offensively. He can stretch you out from the three-point line. He does a great job of getting out in transition. He has a post-up game. He has a mid-range game. But most importantly, you know what he does well, Greeny? And PJ, he's efficient. At the shooting guard position, he shoot almost 50% from the field. And, and look, I love Perk. In fact, if I can make a list of the people I have not yet hugged at ESPN that I would like to hug, Perk might be at the top of the list. But when you start putting Booker's name in with the names that he put him in there and you start talking about top three scorer after that performance there, I think it sort of jades the way we view everything. And I want to be careful here to let let Booker have his own process and his own journey through all of this before we suddenly heap that level of expectation on him. Yeah, I, I, I kind of agree with you, but I would say that there are plenty of people that are not surprised by this Devin Booker, that this has been coming and he has been heating up. And now we're just getting the opportunity for the national stage to be paying enough attention to recognize what's what's been on the way. 
Um, I wouldn't uh, – all right, maybe Stephen A. talking about Kobe already. I'll give you that one, right? I don't need to get there yet. Um, but I think, you know, what Perk is saying is fascinating too because of, you know, this this Suns team needing that one little twist to change. And it was Chris Paul, right? And we didn't expect that despite the fact that Chris Paul at every turn has arrived at a team <laughs> and made them significantly better. That has been his story for the entirety of his career. But to unlock Devin Booker's full potential came – in part because Chris Paul arrived with an incredible floor presence and strategy and veteran presence. And even though he's not on the court, I mean, Booker is FaceTiming him while still walking off the court, right? Like the personality of this team, the chemistry, the connection, and how that makes somebody feel confident and and at ease and what that's manifested into for, for Booker has been pretty wild. Yeah, and and look, I think one thing that I can say really definitively about not just Booker, but the Suns is efficiency is something that Perk mentioned that really jumps off the page, especially if you look at some of the stats on it. I mean, when you talk about Booker, he shot 13 to 18 at 72% on Mm. jump shots off the dribble in game one. Like you think about that, it's a very particular stat, but that's the most made jump shots off the dribble by any player in a playoff game since 2013. Like that shows you how efficient he is. And then you look at DeAndre Ayton, who may not be getting the same level of shine because Booker is getting so much rightfully so, but you're talking about somebody that is absolutely crushing from the paint. And at this point has the second most dunks in the postseason behind only Giannis. And all of this leads to really what was incredibly effective for Phoenix. Like they were able to shoot effectively and efficiently, I should say, and also just absolutely own the paint. So I think that's going to be one of the adjustments that'll be interesting to see in this game. Well, and fits so much attention being paid to Kawhi Leonard being out again, but Marcus Morris' status uncertain, and you know he only played five minutes in the second half of that last game. That's one of their best defenders. That's the guy who's got to take on some of these great scores, and uh, will be very interesting to see how much of an effect that'll have on them if he's not available to go. Now, obviously, that game is tonight, and we're a little short tonight because we're getting you up to the NBA action. So uh, you know it's a short span and fits, but that's okay. That we're at fits. least here, and we're. It's just, I'm sufficiently <laughs> average. Thank you very much. That's what I keep telling myself. Five, nine and a quarter. I'll take that quarter inch all day, uh, every day. All right, coming up. And oh, <laughs> I walked right into that. I, I don't even have an excuse for it. All right, next up, an NFL free agent and LGBTQ advocate will join us to talk about Carl Nassib and the news from yesterday. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and Sirius XM, Channel 80, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Remember, we're taking you into Suns Clippers. Make sure that uh, you get everything you need to know for that game. All of our guests join us on the Goodyear Hotline. Sarah, we weren't uh, able to work together last night. Uh, you, you were very busy this week, but I was holding down the fort as Carl Nassib of my beloved Las Vegas Raiders, actually, uh, went to social media yesterday and came out. And it was an incredibly significant moment, I think, for the league, for sports, and it's caused a ton of reaction. And for uh, some, it it needs some context uh, as we try and figure out what life is like right now for Carl Nassib, but really for the NFL as an entire whole. Now, 
many of you may remember a great story on ESPN.com from a few years ago uh, by Ryan Russell, uh, about Ryan Russell, a three-year NFL veteran at the time, uh, drafted by the Cowboys in 2015. He joins us now, R.K. Russell, NFL free agent on the Goodyear Hotline. R.K., thank you so much for the time. You've obviously gone through so much in your life as an openly bisexual player, but you weren't open when you played in the league. So when you see somebody that comes out while they're still in the middle of their career at that point, what's your immediate like reaction to that? I mean, just elation and celebration for Carl. And also, you know, it, it gives me some optimism. And, and, you know, I want to applaud the NFL for the immediate um, approval and really acceptance and um, support that they, that they gave Carl along with the Las Vegas Raiders and along with, you know, teammates and peers really across the league. It was a, it was a beautiful thing to see. Let me just double check because your Twitter's RK, but also RJ, but you're also Ryan. What do you prefer? Yeah, I anything but Ryan, you know. Okay, so, just I some mean, combination of letters. Things, so that's what I've been going with. <laughs> okay, all right. I'm I'm gonna go with um RL. I'm just gonna make a new one then because uh, you no, weren't look specific. At that. Look at that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I was listening to uh, John Amici, who is one of my all-time faves, and came out after a successful but sort of middle of the road NBA career. And one of the things he talked about with his good friend Dan Lebetard is that coming out to somebody is not about the person coming out, but rather the person that they are telling, that they know them well enough and see them well enough to say, I trust you with this part of me and this authentic side of me. Um, and I wonder for you how many people you felt you were able to trust with that information uh, within the football world before deciding that you wanted to do it all in one fell swoop with a piece for ESPN. Yeah, I mean, the first person I ever came out to was actually a teammate in college. And, you know, whether it be in college or really even at the professional level, you spend more time with these guys, you know, than you spend with your family at this point. You all wake up, you leave meals together. Um, during camp, you literally, you know, wake up and go to sleep in the same rooms and in the same facilities, you know, work out, train together. So these people are family. Um, and I think it's natural for guys to want to tell their teammates, but also it, it's a moment of, Trust, you know, trusting that they will see you for who you are and also trusting that they, you know, and, and it comes from trust on their side, too, because you've been holding something from them and they have to trust that, you know, this wasn't a malicious thing. It wasn't a part of, you know, something that you wanted for yourself. Um, but when you come to that conclusion, when you come out, no matter who it is, but it's on a small scale or a large scale, your life and that relationship significantly improves. So, RK, in your experience, because so many people are talking about locker rooms and whether or not they care, are locker rooms accepting of gay players? Of course. Locker rooms are very accepting. Sports in of its origin is about diversity. You know, it's about giving a voice to the voiceless and about people um, of all different walks of life coming together and, you know, being greater than the sum of their parts and achieving the ultimate goal, which for football, obviously, at that level, it's the Super Bowl. So locker rooms are super accepting. I think the part where locker rooms get a bad rep is really in sports culture for youth growing up. You know, I think that is why it's so important for the NFL to take such a clear stance because this isn't just for, you know, our league, which I believe is very inclusive and comforting um, for all players, but for sports leagues that look towards the NFL as the example. Yeah, it is interesting to see the rush of players uh, from the Raiders and, and elsewhere in the NFL reacting to Carl's statement and 
being you know extremely welcoming and 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 the question then is of course in in the heat of battle or when it's not uh for the sake of social media will that response be the same we, we can all hope so because what matters so much i think rk is the idea that sports is a safe place to be your true self and for so long it felt mm. like it wasn't does it feel like there has been enough difference even from when you decided to write the essay for espn uh, in i think 2019 uh, to now, does it feel like enough steps have been taken, or is this a really nice flowery response that may not be the reality for him day in and day out in the NFL? I mean, I think that it's both. I think that it's a very flowery response. I think that guys, obviously, when they're playing against him and wanting to win, won't be all lovey-dovey um, towards him. But, I mean, we've seen such significant shift, not just in sports, but in our societies when it comes to all types of marginalized groups, all types of diversity in the heat of the Black Lives Matter movement, and not only how society played a role in that, but how sport played a role in that, how we saw NFL players, you know, come up and take a chance and take a stand for change and the commissioner as well. Um, and I believe the sports as a whole and society as a whole is becoming so much more inclusive. And I don't think that this is for show. <laughs> I don't think the NFL has done anything you know, really with this much support and this much backing um, just for show. And I, I'm excited to see Carl's career. I'm excited to see him play. I'm excited to see him also just treated as any other player because I think ultimately that's what we all want. We want, we want acceptance for who we are, but we want respect for what we do and what we bring to the game. We're talking to NFL free agent R.K. Russell, Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. So, you know, representation matters so much for young kids that are watching this, that are playing football. What is the impact of NASA being comfortable enough to come out and be himself? I mean, it's another huge milestone. It's, it's historic in its own right, and it's going to allow a lot of young players and, and older players who might be closeted, you know, to see themselves out and proud, you know, when he steps on that field in the regular season and, and knocks off yet another historical landmark for an out gay player, you know, taking those first regular season snaps and having success. So I think it can only cause a positive ripple effect throughout sports and specifically male professional sports where he stands alone as an out player on a roster, you know, primed to play in regular season. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz talking to RK Russell, NFL free agent, you know, Carl Nassib signed a pretty big contract. Didn't have a great year with the Raiders last year. Um, when you wrote your story for ESPN, um, you had, had missed a season to injury, but you were hoping to make an impact with a team and hadn't found a spot. Um, there's a lot of cynicism around the timing of these announcements, and I think it was probably meaningful that Carl said, I really want to focus on football, so if I turn down interviews or I don't become the spokesperson for this, that's merely because this is a lot of energy to spend and I need to focus mm -hmm. on football. Um, do you think that that affects and and will affect anything in terms of the Raiders having to make a decision about him making the team and and how much pressure then is there for this to not go the way of say a Michael Sam who made a practice roster but never made a, a regular season roster? I mean, I think like Carl said it best. I think he prioritizes football as all football players do, and representation matters. You know him claiming his full self and really being authentic matters. But at the end of the day, you know, the reason everyone is talking about it and the reason everyone, there's so much buzz is because he is a football player. So, you know, he has his priorities straight, which, you know, his league, the league knows, his team knows, and his teammates know. And that's important. Um, as far as contracts and, you know, season, you could say Carl didn't have the greatest season um, last year, but we can say the Raiders didn't have the greatest season last year. Pretty much every so year, right, Fitz? 
<laughs> oh, okay, that hurts. I'm a Raiders. I'm a diehard Raiders fan. Okay, that hurts my heart. I that that season's in the past. We're moving forward, so no, don't worry about that. Well, I guess but my I question: say, you know, do, do you think that when yeah. you do you think if you're being honest with yourself about your own abilities and opportunities that that your decision to come out publicly had any effect on whether or not you would you would make it on a roster again? No, I mean I don't think so. There's so many things that go into making an NFL roster, like my injury history, as well as just the timing of COVID nineteen and how that whole process shifted the landscape. And there's so many other factors that if my sexuality my sexuality did play a part in it, you know, who cares at that point? Like I I came out for the betterment of myself and my well being on the field as well as off the field. Um, and that's important to me. And I think it's important to Carl and. Like you said, he just wants to focus on playing. And I think it's important that if we really do support him, we allow him to do that. RK, I really appreciate your time. You guys can follow him on Twitter, at RK Relentless. It's great to hear you speak so openly and honestly about all of this, and the insight is really invaluable to us. Thank you so much for your time, brother. We appreciate you joining us. Thank you for having me. Again, follow him on Twitter, at RK Relentless. Uh, it's an interesting story to see where it goes next because, Sarah, I'll I'll double down on what you said. Like, I don't know that the path is necessarily perfectly clear for Carl Nassib with the Raiders. They did go out and sign a bunch of defensive linemen. He's got to play better. But, man, uh, if jersey sales are any indication, there's a lot of people today that are rooting for him to make Mm -hmm. this team. Uh, We're brought to you by Goodyear, helping you discover the road ahead. Goodyear, more driven at Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Obviously, we got a lot to get into, but we'll tell you some things that, you know, maybe when you think things are going really bad, could have been worse. We'll tell you about some of them next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Why do I feel like you picked all the music coming out of break tonight, Fitz? Did I? I took a couple days off, and now anything. we're just a country show. Is this what's anything. happening here? I mean... I, I didn't pick anything, but I'm not mad about it. It makes me feel like it's amphitheater touring, like, summer season say, right now. Yeah, I feel like you're I back need in your element. A really, like, oh, man, like, I need a, a beer. Like, I don't even really drink beer, but I'm going with, big, like, Kings big, of Leon's got this new beer out. Like, I'm going to drink one of theirs. Oh, oh my God, yeah. <laughs> like, not, not real dip, though, because I'm not man enough for that, like, big league chew that I can put in there and make it look like dip so people think that I'm all, like, you're right. You're not stupid enough to use dip. Apologies to those out there oh, that's, that are stupid is, enough to give themselves Lip cancer. Now we're on to a different topic. It's Spain and Fitz. There's Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN <laughs> Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Uh, all it does is make me think I don't know any of these people or these songs, and that's fine. i got to expand my horizons a little bit. Um, we sometimes like to play a little game here. It's not really a game, but, you know, in our minds it's a game that we play where we make ourselves feel better about the circumstances of our own lives by uh, talking about people who've had it worse. It's a little something we call could have been worse. You thought you had a bad weekend. Phil, there is a tiger in the bathroom. You ain't seen nothing yet. I better get out of here while the getting's good. It could have been worse <laughs> on Spain and Fitz. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. And there's gonna be a twist at the end of this one, but let's start with the uh, let's start with the obvious. And oh boy, could have been worse if you had a bad day yesterday. You could have been the New York Islanders who fell to the Tampa oh. Bay Lightning eight. To nothing. Yes, those are hockey teams, and that is not a hockey score. Lightning took the uh, 3-2 series lead with the win. Uh, here's a little bit of what just one of the eight goals sounded like. Delivers it cross ace maroon, right point Luke Shen. A little shot, score! Luke, that bounced past Sorokin. I don't think that was tipped. That'll be a goal for Luke Shen to make it 8 nothing. 
Lighting have tied the franchise record for most goals in a playoff game. Woof. I mean, Sarah, I was sitting there. We were getting ready to do Sports Nation last night, and they have all these TVs up, and one had the hockey game on, and I look over and I said, man, are my eyes getting bad? Like, that looks like, at the time, I said, looks like that says 7 nothing. It's got to be one nothing, right? And somebody said, nope. I mean, that's just, when you start getting NFL numbers in an, in an NHL playoff game, that is, I don't know if I'm the Islanders, how I just, you just dump that thing away and you hope for better in the next game. It's not great. I did see that the New York Post was trotting out Great stories of teams in the past who got the brakes beat off them and managed to come back and win. So I think that's that's the spot they're at right now, where we need to find some sort of precedent for this not being the end of our season and our souls. Uh, but, yeah, it could have been worse. You could have been uh, getting the brakes beat off you by the lightning last night. Uh, you also uh, could have been Tim Tebow, who, you know, <laughs> didn't get invited to tight end you, um, which is a little uh, – sort of camp put on by George Kittle and, and Greg Olson and uh, and Travis Kelsey uh, gathering up some of the best tight ends in the league. And, you know, there was a pretty decent explanation for why he couldn't get involved, which was very simply that they just didn't have room. There was so much of a response that everybody wanted to be there that they just couldn't squeeze him in. But instead of just saying that, George Kittle gave a little more information this morning. How do I not invite, like, because if I can't invite every tight end, how do I not invite like a second or third string guy in a team that's been playing tight end since he was 18 year olds in high school and like nothing against Tim Tebow. I hope that he has incredible success this year. I hope he has 10 touchdowns. I hope he has a great year, but it's hard for me to invite someone to this that just started playing the position when I can't invite a guy that's been playing it for eight to 10 years. That's just hard for me. And, uh, you know, like I said, hopefully I can make it open to every single, every single player. Okay. Fitz, is that just honesty or shade or both? It's shady honesty. I mean, like, <laughs> and what he's saying makes some sense, right? Like, there is a moment where you hate to hear it when you realize, like, if, if you realize you, maybe you try on a pair of pants that's just because they button doesn't mean they fit and you've got that friend that will remind <laughs> you of it. Like, you need that truth every once in a while. Like, I understand the, the need for that truth, but for him to be saying that, and then he qualifies it with the, you know, no offense, basically. Like, no, I hope he's great this year. I'm just not going to invite somebody that's barely played the position. Like, I yeah. mean, it's, I think there's a, a real statement there. It's hard because it's it's hard because it's true. <laughs> like, yeah, that would be a weird choice. I'm going to invite a guy who's never played tight end instead of a guy who's been in the league for a handful of years and has been playing it for his entire life. And it, it's, I mean, maybe he should invite Tim Tebow. He probably has the most to learn, right? He's literally never taken a snap at the position. Maybe maybe he should I be mean, a paying so customer of tight end you instead of getting invited. <laughs> Maybe the rest of the tight ends should just put on a camp for him to teach him the, the finer points of the position. Uh, so, yeah, it could have been worse. You could have been Tim Tebow. Or you could be Ben Simmons today. And, and Fitz, I don't know what the worst day of all of this is. Is it middle of the game when you turn down the wide-open dunk? Is it after the game as you listen to your teammate Joel Embiid describe that moment where you turned down the dunk as the turning point for where you lost the whole series? Is it your coach in the post game talking about how you just don't know if you could win with them? Is it your GM being noncommittal about your future with the team? Or is it Stephen A. reading aloud a text that he got from somebody, quote, very, very close to the situation in Philadelphia, saying about Ben Simmons, quote, he doesn't work, he doesn't listen, and everyone around him is family. And he's constantly babied. Youch. Oh. I mean, all of that, too. Like, as bad as that is for Ben Simmons, 
all of this is terrible for the 76ers, too. Like, if you thought there was any at least possibility that there was one moron left that would trade a star for him somewhere in the NBA, I don't know how you can find that idiot now. Like, they have done so much as an organization, from Doc's words to just the front office to even Doc saying, well, we have a plan, and just because you're working hard doesn't mean you're working smart, essentially, mm -hmm. uh, when they talk about what they want to do with Simmons. Like, you can look across the board and say, man, y'all think you can do anything else to make him less appealing as a trade value right now? Because everybody tough, watched that playoff series. I agree, Fitz. That's tough, though, because they tried that game for the last couple of years and the rest of this series, right? It was Doc saying, if you think I should have taken out Ben Simmons, you don't know basketball, right? Th th it was them still trying to play the game of he's one of our highest paid and best players and this is the star who needs to be out there. And finally, at the end, it was, no, we, we can't afford to have him out there. We have to take him out, even though we know what that means for his trade value and his future and his confidence and everything else. They're in a tough spot with that. Um, Dwight Howard, uh, one of the lone voices, uh, taking to Instagram to defend uh, Simmons, and and I think second time maybe in the last couple of days that he's kind of criticized fans for for being hard on him, and he it's an interesting ally to have, right? Because Dwight Howard's you know really pulled himself and his game together and is a really good asset for that team, but he went through a lot of time where he was questioned for his maturity and his commitment to the game and his choices. So I guess it's good that he's learned and and found his his space to be able to defend him, but. I don't know if that's the one guy that you want on your side, the one who's, who's been through it instead of some of the other louder voices. Yeah, and I'll continue to say that through all of this, maybe the only real solution, as difficult as it is, is for them to find a way to work together. Even if Ben Simmons knows his future isn't in Philly and they know the same, I'm not sure they don't have to actually come together, work together, and at least get some semblance of progress from him that people can see to justify moving him somewhere else. So, like, at this point, it becomes a, hey, we both know we're going to break up. We are both we both know that this is going to end. What can we do to put ourselves in the best possible situation as that happens? Outside of that, I have such a hard time finding value for him somewhere else, even though, sympathetically, like, I, I feel I feel right. for him in this process. Well, if, if it's a mental thing, he needs a fresh like. start. That was That's what it feels like, and it was kind of interesting to me to think about, is there anything about the Sixers in particular, that franchise, regardless of who's running it or in charge since some of those pieces have moved, that results in this happening to this player the same way it happened to Fultz, right? That sort of mm. the yips, the mental blocks that prevent you from being the player that you've been. That's something, I guess, to dig into a little bit. And unfortunately, we're running out of time for could have been worse to take the twist where it turns to me where I sit in the airport for seven hours, don't get to go home, stay in New York, and then uh, find myself buying clothes for five days for television. Coming up, Woo! Olympic talk. It's Sarah Spain and Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. You can subscribe to our podcast, Spain and Fitz, on the ESPN app, Apple, everywhere else. You get your podcast. Make sure you don't miss anything. We'll be sure not to miss tomorrow when the U.S. women's national team roster for the Olympics is announced. Lots of tough decisions for that soccer roster and lots of tough decisions that went into choosing the women that will make up the roster for the USA women's basketball team. And there's more than just talent at play here. Roz Goldenwood, a uh, ESPN basketball analyst and uh, was on Sports Nation and gave a quick synopsis of why everyone's fired up about Neka Ogumake not making the roster. 
I'm so disappointed by a major snub that just can't be ignored. Right. No Neka Agumike on this roster again. Let me break that down for you, okay? 2012, Neka Agumike missed it then. She was the number one draft pick. They could have highlighted her as one of the future stars. Mm -hmm. Instead, she didn't make the roster. Okay, wait your turn. 2016 Olympics, Neka was literally the league MVP and the Sparks, her team, won a championship. And somehow, she still doesn't make that Olympic roster. Right. Okay, come to the Tokyo Olympics. Neka's coming off of injury, but to my knowledge, her timeline for return is exactly lined up, is perfectly lined up for the Olympics to be able to play. As far as merit and talent, she's absolutely talented enough to be on this roster. So, guys, let's say the decision was tight and hard. Well, then look at the intangibles. You think about NECA paid her dues. You think about NECA went to all the USA events while others didn't all go. And when you think about the leadership she brings as a player, as a president of the Players Association, from the CBA to being at the front, forefront of social change, right. you know, to still leave NECA Ogumike off this roster plus her overall talent is so disappointing. It is disappointing. And to tell us why it's more than just a coincidence or random Two-time WNBA champ, former Notre Dame player, Devereaux Peters is with us. And she spilled a little tea with a rant on social media that you likely saw. Let's get right down to it because we don't have too much time. Get into it with us. Why is this the case where Candace Parker gets snubbed and now NECA over and over again despite doing everything for women's basketball? Uh, I think that, you know, there's a lot of favoritism played um, naturally too, you know, when you get involved with USA basketball. Um, when you're part of the committee, when you're part of the coaching staff, you want to see your people at that level. I mean, I feel like that's just naturally how people are going to be. Um, but I think what bothers me the most is the how just disingenuous they are about the whole process. Um, because kind of going into what Roz said the first year, it was, you know, she got to wait her turn. Then 2016, it's, um, her relevance wasn't enough. She wasn't relevant enough as some of the younger players that were coming in. Um, and then this year, there's the idea that they didn't think she was going to be back in time, even though her timeline, she was cleared to play. You have other in players that have been injured throughout this season that are on the team. So it just, they're constantly moving the goalposts and um, have no transparency about what's actually going into the process of picking these players. Well, transparency, stick there for a second, Devereaux, because obviously the Sparks are mad. NECA, Cheney, everybody's uh, sort of up in arms in this. What obligation is there from USA Basketball to sit down and have a real conversation before they make the announce to what they're going to do and why? I mean, I I feel like, especially when you're talking to these players, um, there has to be that transparency and honesty. I mean, we all know that the WNBA players play year-round. They're playing 12 months a year. Playing for these uh, USA teams during the off season and going through these camps and, and going through the world games and all of that is a sacrifice because that's time you could have off to be resting your body. That's significant time mm -hmm. you could have off. And if you're telling these players that these are what you have to get done to be a part of this, this program, to be a part of the Olympics, this is what we need from you, this is the criteria, and then every year you're changing that when they meet those standards, I think that's unfair and I think it's crap. I, I, I don't – why that's even possible to continue to change the narrative every single time you have a player like NECA who is constantly meeting the criteria year in and year out and every year it's a different excuse. There, there's, I'm never going to be the one to say who should, be, should not be on that team, but NECA definitely should be on the team. 
It's Spain and Fitz. We're talking to Devereaux Peters, two-time WNBA champ, who uh, is one of many who are sort of criticizing the politics behind it all. You know, Gino Oriema was the head coach of the women's Olympic team for a number of years, and some of your tweets were about that sort of UConn connection, the number of UConn players, and it seemed like media availabilities or specific events during the Olympics that were just for the UConn players and not for the rest of the Olympic team. Now it's Don Staley. Does it feel like the same politics are at play here? Um, definitely within the committee. Um, I don't feel that Don has enough, as much pull as they did um, during their time. Um, I feel like the roster would look a lot different if they did. Don was upset about Megan not being on the team. I mean, I can't. That's wild, see right? That the head coach her. wouldn't get to have a say in that in, in a lot of ways. Exactly. And and for her to be, you know, like come out and say she's upset about it, you know, she didn't have a, a say in that pick in itself. Um, but I, I think that there definitely needs to be a reckoning as far as what's going on with USA basketball, how they're deciding on these players, because every year, like I said, the narrative changes. Um, they're moving the goalposts and, and they're not being honest about what's actually going on, especially when you look at the teams that they have each year. How would you fix it? I, like I said, there needs to be honesty about what the criteria is because when you're telling a player this year is this, then the next year is that, and then the next year is that, it's hard for them to come into that and, and know what they're supposed to be doing to make this team. Um, I know young, it's harder for young players. Um, to understand, you know, like, okay, am I waiting my turn? But then you have other young players that come in straight off the bat, so then what happens to that process? Um, I think there just needs to be honesty about what they're doing. If they, if they are being playing favorites and there's certain people that they want on the team because, you know, they went to their school or they did whatever, be honest about that. I don't understand why that's not discussed so that the players can make their decisions on what they want to participate in or if they want to have a break. Yeah, and you're right. I mean, it, you're not going to be able to lay it out explicitly. Hey, if you all do do all these things, we guarantee that you're going to make it. But when you have the kind of credentials that, that NECA has and you are doing all of the requirements and showing up for all of the things and it's still not happening, uh, that has to be heartbreaking. And I think, you know, you could talk about it from the abstract, but on a personal level, the idea of this person who at every turn has been totally qualified to make it and done the right things and doesn't yell about it, scream about it, get vocal, let everyone else fight for her. Um, maybe that's part of it, which is frustrating too. Although, you know, the Candace Parker thing then is a total mystery because she's very outspoken and very, you know, active in, in advertising and marketing and everything else. So um, while it shouldn't be that you pick players for this based on, you know, their sponsorship deals or something, it does sometimes feel like, quote unquote, who's hot. And Candace Parker has been since she came into the league and NECA, particularly after the wobble season, uh, if her talent wasn't enough, which it is, that should have put her over the edge. I don't blame you, Devereaux, for going on your rant, and I think we do need to have more people like you be super honest about it and spill the tea so we can have more transparent conversations so this doesn't keep happening to folks like NECA. Uh, thanks so much for giving us some time. Appreciate it. Thank you.